In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I discuss the Sixers' disappointing double overtime loss to the Chicago Bulls, which snapped their eight-game winning streak. We then go over what is driving Joel Embiid's recent MVP surge, as he appears to be the betting favorite in Vegas. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Botner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. We are recording this at maybe not the most opportune time in the world. We are recording this following the 109-105 double overtime loss to the Chicago Bulls, which snapped the Sixers' eight-game winning streak. But how you doing, Rich? Derek, I'm doing fine. Uh, we are the... We're the Grim Reaper here, you know. It really is. It's time to podcast, and there's a bad loss. Yeah, when you schedule a podcast, you can be sure they're going to play like dog shit the previous night. It's amazing. It happens. I don't know. It does feel like it happens a lot to us this year, where it's like, all right, we got this one scheduled up, and they lay up a stinker. But a stinker was probably understandable and due. A lot of times teams come back from the road, and they kind of suck at home. I do think... Because uh, I, I didn't get a chance to rewatch all of last night's game, in part because Rich completely stunned me and wanted to do an early podcast, which, pulling back the curtain a little bit, Rich is not an early podcast kind of person. So I didn't get a chance to rewatch everything, but I think when I rewatched some of it this morning, it probably, like, my takeaways probably aren't as strong as they might have been. It was an exceptionally frustrating game to watch, but not one that I take too much away from, not one that really pisses me off. With the one significant caveat of we don't really know what's going on with James Harden's foot yet. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I think in terms of that individual game, it's look here. Here's why it is annoying, though. Oh, the Sixers have played. Well, I mean, yeah, it was brutal to watch. And can can I t- say, by the way, when the Sixers, I think Harden got that shot blocked. The double fist pump you threw out. Not because you were rooting for the Sixers <laughs> to lose, but because you were rooting for the game to, game end, to end in yes. one way or another was way to put as me on genuine. Spot. It was as genuine as possible. It was. <laughs> I mean, I was screaming at the beginning of the possession, "Shoot a three, You know, <laughs> just my, like whatever. My just only, end it one way or yeah, another. My only rooting interest was for there not to be a triple overtime. I could not take five more minutes of that slop because that was slop offensive basketball. It was pain. It wasn't even like I'm tired and I want to go home. It was just like I can't watch. This is really bad basketball and really frustrating. That being said, you know, I, I just said I'm not too frustrated or annoyed with that loss. It is a massive missed opportunity, though. Like, when you yes. look up at their schedule coming up, all right, they got one more against the Bulls. After that, you've got the Warriors, and since it's a home game for them, they might actually be competent. Phoenix, all right, not Durant, but they're still Phoenix. Denver, you've got Milwaukee again. you got Boston again. All these teams might have something to play for, even Miami, a tough defensive squad. There is a lot at stake here coming down a stretch, and when you blow a game, and look— that. That was arguably their easiest game left on the yeah. side, which, yeah. you know, I think for the Sixers, they, they've played so well that I'm not always that worried about their schedule. You know, good teams, bad teams, whatever. It's generally been fine. And and when you just tend to not lose, it doesn't really matter as much how hard your schedule is. 
But it's just so Sixers that their easiest game left in yeah. terms of the the worst team they're playing, and they're playing them at home. They uh, they stink up the joint. They were they were horrible, like you said. It was completely frustrating to watch. And I think part of this is that they've earned this frustration, and that they've played so well. The race for the number two seed is a real thing now. Yeah. I didn't think it was going to be a real nope. thing. Me neither. So. I don't know. I, I guess when you do all the hard work of winning all of these games in a row, when you finally lose, it it, it stings a little bit. So yeah. it's like it's kind of like were they due for a stinker? Yeah, probably. And and I think in terms of the Sixers' level of play outside of the Harden thing, which we'll talk about, is there like a ton to be concerned about? No, because the last time they lost, they lost in Dallas, and their defense looked as incompetent as I've ever seen yeah. a defense look, and it was fine. Like they they played eight really good games after that, so. Um, but, but yeah, the, uh, it's, it's a missed opportunity for sure. They they do have a way. They only lose like once every other week, but boy, that one game can leave a mark. They can, they find the frustrating ways to lose every time. And this one, an offensive struggle doesn't frustrate me as much as like that Dallas game you referenced, like when they just don't yeah. care and don't execute defensively, that, that frustrates me way more. This one. Yeah. There were some missed shots. Like they shot sub 30% from three for a team that shoots over 40% on the season. That's big. You make one of those shots, just shoot 30%. You win that game in regulation. But the turnover, the first half turnovers were just mind melting breakdowns. That was a real frustrating part. They couldn't I, catch I, the ball in the first half. It was amazing. It was, it was, and they, any drive was like a 50 50 ball. It should not be a 50 50 ball when you have the ball. See, okay, but that's the stuff where I'm thinking, like, whatever. I, I, that, that has not happened once this season. So I, I don't know. If the floor was slippery, if all the confetti <laughs> raining down from the the rafters, which is just an insane part of the Wells Fargo Center experience, and that you know ball boys have to run on the floor during games to pick up confetti, um, it's like a ghost. It's like point. a ghost of the past. Yeah, like you have you have to leave the confetti there. I, I don't know what was going on. That was yeah. You're right. It, it's not as frustrating. It's it's just weirder though. It's just like strange. Why is this happening? This never happens. I don't understand. Where is this great offense that we've become accustomed to? It's one of those things. Casey missed it. I wrote about the Sixers potentially having the best offense, most dominant offense in the league. Uh, I wrote that about three hours, or I published that about three hours prior to one of the worst offensive games we've seen in years, especially for a team with expectations. That was a perfectly timed article. They have been playing truly exceptional offensive basketball. Like I think the stat that I was looking at was 123.3 offensive rating since January 1st. Over that time, even against top 10 defenses, they were pretty much right at the same point. They're at like 121 against top 10 defenses, which is about four points per possession higher than the Nuggets or the Kings against top 10 defenses. So they were playing really good basketball. It's just, it, it, and it is, you do have nights, maybe not specifically like, like last night, last night, because I feel like some of the details were unique to that game. Like you said, they couldn't catch, which isn't something you say very All often. All of them couldn't catch. <laughs> All it was of them. wild. <laughs> uh, and then you combine that with off nights, certainly from James Harden, an off first half from Tyrese Maxey, and overall just a poor shooting display. And it was, you know. Joel Embiid had 37 and 16, and he was really the only, and he couldn't catch at various points of the game either, but he was the only reason they were even remotely in that game. They were a plus eight in his 44 minutes. He ended up fouling out there in double overtime. A little surprisingly, didn't really complain about fouling out. 
Nah. Seemed pretty at peace with it. He's, he's, I couldn't... still mad about the Beverly call earlier. Yeah, but... in the first half. Which I hate, by the way. Even I, I don't, you know, I, I know some people thought it wasn't a good call. I, you know, it's it's tough because Beverly is quick enough where he gets there in time. But I just, I hate the pass and the crash. Yeah. I hate that so much. Like, guys get hurt doing that. Uh, he ended up, he picked up his fourth and fifth foul there midway through the fourth quarter, played a good chunk of that game there after that without picking up the six. And the Bulls, I thought, did a pretty good job of going right at him. They had a number of drives right after he picked up that fifth foul where mm-hmm. they challenged him and beat obviously backed off of the rim protection a little bit. But they got the Rosen to... on the one. They got the Rosen on the one. And you were like, man, that was risky. Yeah. Where, yeah. No, where he, he, he did go for a couple. But yeah, they got him. Tough game. Tough game. I guess how concerned are you about Harden and that right foot? Because that was the foot that he aggravated earlier in the year that caused him to miss that time. Uh, it looked like he came down after a drive in the second quarter there and was hobbling a little bit. Ended up playing 47 minutes there on the night. Uh, we didn't get a chance to speak to James. He was getting that foot looked at while we were interviewing Joel, and then he left while we were in the middle of that interview. So we didn't get a chance to really get an update on that foot. How concerned uh, are you? I guess it's an impossible spot to put you in because we don't really have any information. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, because we don't have any information, and I, I think until I see him play again, I think the, the answer is very concerned uh, yeah. on that one. Uh, because look, I think the the big reason that the Sixers struggled last night, and you look at it, you look at that final play of of regulation, right? De'Anthony Melton gets a steal. You, you mentioned Joel was the the reason the Sixers were in the game. Also, uh, De'Anthony Melton yep. played one of his best games in a while. Um, and that was the only other reason that the Sixers were in the game. You know, Maxi, you know, kind of volume scoring night for him. I would say he he gets the steal him and Tobias because DeRozan loses the ball. So it wasn't just the Sixers with the ball uh, slipping out of their hands, you know. But they get the ball and Doc does not call timeout. Sixers have a chance to miraculously win a game at the end of regulation, and it would have been one of their their recent miraculous wins. Like how, how did they do that? Doc doesn't call timeout, and when Joel, I think he threw it to Tyrese or or somebody else, but Joel points, give the ball to Harden, and the ball swings to Harden, and after the game, Doc said, no, I I didn't, I called timeout because Tyrese and Joel had the ball, I wanted them to run kind of a two-man type game. That's the problem right there. Stop. That's it. That's the problem, because Joel pointing to James Harden is what he should do on most nights. That's how the Sixers offense operates i get it if tyrese is going crazy take the shot or whatever but they had settled down and they had had they had like seven eight seconds left to run a play or whatever joel pointed to harden the ball went to him and he ran to go set a screen that is what this team lives on that is what they do they end up getting a maxi shot that is it is an open 26 footer but it is a crappy shot in terms of it's a tie game all you need is a deuce or a free throw right like you know it's an open 26 footer but if you execute you get an open 17 footer for Joel. Totally. Um, and that's the issue is that like swinging the ball to Harden was, uh, was a no go. And Harden, Derek, is that the worst game we've seen him play? By far. Even worse than whatever happened in the second round. I, I'm like, I'm trying to that think. That might have like, been worse you, than Ben Simmons in the second round. Like the that Detroit was the game point. last year when Ike Stewart yeah. was switching on him, I, I guess that was bad. But I think that was more bad because that that seemed to set the stage for. That was like like my tipping point when I said, "Oh, oh, I don't know if this is gonna work out." 
Uh, I don't know if that was actually a worse game. This is as bad as I've ever seen him play. Between the 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 the, the ineffectiveness and the passing and the I mean the defense, which is always sort of there. Uh, this was as bad of a point guard game as we've seen in quite a while. <laughs> quite a while. <laughs> no, it's true. It's it, it was just wild. I mean, he was. And I mean, if he was he, hurt, like you understand why he can't get by someone. His foot is jacked up. But it would have been nice if I don't know, like. Don't play him 47, especially because he wasn't really helping you last night. Like, I don't understand no. why he had to be on the floor for so much on a bum foot, which I guess is maybe the one reason why I might be hopeful that it's not serious. But I don't trust Doc to know that mid game. He always says, I don't know. Whenever he's asked about injuries, like, I don't know. I'm just coaching the game. Well, and also Harden finished the game against Washington when he got hurt earlier this year, too. Right. You know, yeah. he, he, yep. dealt, he dealt he with that foot issue. But then, oh, he's gone for a month. So we we will see what happens there. I, I think either answer is bad though, right? Because I didn't know he was capable of that. I like he's he's had his stinkers this year, don't get no. me wrong. He he played a bad game against the Bulls without Embiid earlier this year. This was new level, man. This was yep. actively harmful. Yes. And on both ends, obviously he's bad at defense. Like he doesn't really try it or anything. But his drives and his missed shots, these air balls and yep. shit were leading to wide open dunks and layups on the other end. If you play Shake Milton forty seven minutes, I, I think like normal you might Shake win Milton that game. No, I think you definitely win that. Yeah. Game. So it it's strange because James Harden has been, and we have talked about this, and, and I think most people understand this. Like he has been as good as the Sixers could have hoped for this yep. season. He has been just a terrific offensive player. Obviously, three point shooting has gone up. Um you know, 20 and 10, leading the league in assists. He has turned those the Sixers' biggest issue. How do you survive without Joel Embiid? They are like plus 3.7 when Harden is on the floor without Embiid. Their biggest issue into, okay, I got this. He has yep. scored in isolation at the end of games when the Sixers have needed. He's been one of the best ISO players in the NBA, high usage ISO player, an even better one than Joel Embiid, believe it or not. That said, that's scary. That, that is that is a scary effort. That is, I well, I, I don't know what to say. Like the Bulls yeah. just completely locked him up, and it was at the point where you're, you're right. Like, is he hurt? Because they weren't getting any good shots in overtime. Whether Embiid was on the floor, whether he wasn't on the floor, and the Sixers always get good shots. And the reason they always get good shots, part of it is Joel Embiid, but a huge part of it is James Harden does the right thing every time. Yep. And I think for a good chunk of Sixers fans. Even when he's succeeding, and I agree with you, I think he's exceeded any reasonable expectations. This is the best outcome you could have hoped for up to this point. And I am probably a higher on Harden than I think a lot of fans are, because I think there's a lot of fans who are sitting here waiting for something like the status quo to return. And if you watch that game last night, it looked a lot like James Harden from last year. And if James doesn't have that burst, doesn't have that lift on his jumper, all of a sudden, all that optimism comes into doubt. And I don't want to go there because I think we have to see him play on that foot again to see if that was a one-night thing. But I think a lot of people might have watched that game and had that kind of fear because it did look just a lot like a worse version of last year. And like you said, he's been a steadying force so often for this team this year. And a big chunk of the identity that they've built with him and Embiid and all of the role. I mean, I just wrote about how all of their role players are getting way more catch and shoot shots than they ever have. 
a big chunk of that is because James Harden can re- reliably put them in spots where they, they can succeed and get them open shots and has a court vision and a two-man game with Embiid. Like you said, they were surviving minutes without Joe on the floor. He and Paul Reed had had some chemistry, although Paul's been up and down a little bit lately. But they've been he's been freaking fantastic and given them that, that dynamic that they've never really had up to this point in Joel Embiid's career. And for that to be there for there to be a little bit of concern whether that might go away a little bit. Like that was a really bad performance. And you he almost it's like, all right, good. At least a foot is some kind of explanation for that, because that's as bad as we've seen him play. But you know what? But also like that that foot is it's every scary. Terrifying. Yeah. I don't know. That was a bad one. The uh, Sixers' fourth least efficient game of the season per cleaning the glass. Oh, God, I can't believe there were three others. Well, I mean, they all happened before December 1st. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. By the way, what happened, not December 1st, might have been like the 5th or something like that, but what happened? James Harden came back, and the Sixers have been the best offense in the league since then. So this is, yeah, it's an outlier game. I mean, God, they just came off playing, I know Indiana and Charlotte are bad. They hammered those teams. They hammered them. They hammered Cleveland. It was... Even without any clutch production from Joel Embiid. Yeah, exactly. Like Joel is scoring 30 points and taking the fourth quarter off. It's uh So yeah, I, I think look, if James's foot is okay, I think you can reasonably write this one off. Like I didn't know what the Bulls were doing. It it seemed like the Bulls something we saw against Cleveland that this is you know, but it's something that I think Harden should have solved is that they were sh- shifting a lot. They were sending, you know, multiple players to the strong side and loading up against Embiid's pick and roll. You had Vooch kind of playing up high against that, you know, kind of around the free throw line, kicking the ball at all times. By the way, the kickball is just, it's yeah. a scourge on basketball. And honestly, it should be a delay of game. I think it should well, be a delay of game. Well, and it's also the best way to defend the Harden Embiid pick and roll, yeah. because if you do have the big up like Vooch was last night, Okay, the the pocket pass doesn't work because Harden <laughs> is throwing it like right by your foot, yep. and uh, if you're if you're waiting for it and your reflexes are quick enough, so that worked. And but that's something the Sixers should solve. You know, like if 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 that's how defenses guard it, like you, you got to get that ball to the weak side for corner threes. Um, and it just didn't happen enough. And and like, look, credit to the Sixers. You know, I thought the Bulls' offense was was terrible all night too. So I, I don't want to give them too much credit for their defense, but they did again. Didn't get blown out. They don't get blown no. out anymore. You know, when they when they don't guard at all in Dallas, they still score a million points. When they don't score against Chicago, they guard that night. It's uh Yeah, look, it's it's a frustrating one, but the the Harden thing, it's just, it's just that hasn't happened this season. It, it's really weird. Um No. That was that was new. And if there is an explanation for the new with the injury, then you, you worry about that lingering. Otherwise, I'm not too concerned. Uh, but we got to see what happens with that injury report, with that foot, whether or not he plays in Chicago there on Wednesday and how he looks. And then you've got the other injury. Jalen McDaniels with the hip played nine minutes, did not look good doing so. He has not really looked like himself since trying to come back. We'll see what happens there. He was, I don't want to say he was a big part of that bench unit, but he was sort of helping that bench unit find an identity with the sort of switchable players around James. He's been, pretty bad and pretty inconsistent in, in in whether or not he's on even on the floor lately. That's something to monitor as well. Uh, overall, the bench struggled outside of Melt. Yeah, Melt was good, though. Yeah. Something. Yep. 
It is something. That is true. <laughs> you don't really see Melton take 12 threes all that often. Good to see. And four steals. It was real good. It was real good. Yeah. And he was closing because they didn't have P.J. Tucker. And I, I do think it would have been a game for P.J. Tucker to play small ball because people Paul just, just yeah. did not really have it in last night's game. And that's okay. That happens. And I think something we have seen over this recent winning streak is, hey, if B-Ball Paul doesn't have it or somebody else doesn't have it, like Doc will go to somebody else in the second half because there are enough good players. Shake Milton is a perfect example of, okay, we'll roll with you tonight. You know, or, you know, Daniel House, Daniel House starts the game and Daniel House is, is fine. I, I think he, him getting minutes, while I don't think he's part of the normal playoff rotation, I think there might be matchups where he is required to play 10 to 15 yeah. minutes a game. Or nights where somebody is injured or ineffective. That, yeah, bring him in. Bring him in. He was, he's been okay. And credit to Doc, you know, because Paul's had, what was the, the, the other game where Paul Reed was, didn't Cleveland. play in the second half? Cleveland. Credit to Doc, he, he continues to go back to him. You know, he'll oh, take yeah. Paul out for the second half and, and go small ball with PJ or go, you know, wherever he may go. But the next game, Paul Reed's your backup center. And I think that is the right approach to have. You know, if Paul doesn't have it one night, I'm fine making adjustment. But I, the only adjustment I don't want to see is going to Dwayne Dedman or Montrez Harrell as your backup center on the next game. And Doc has resisted that so far. And quite frankly, Doc's been pretty good here down the stretch. I, I disagree with some of the decisions he made <laughs> last night, but I think more or less... Perhaps he playing had, Harden if he was hurt. Yeah, that's... Playing uh, Harden if he was hurt, I probably would have taken a timeout. Maybe a challenge a Joel one, but I think that was a foul when he fouled nah, out there in he was, double overtime. I don't think he was going to win that one. I don't think yeah. he was going to win it anyway. You challenge it maybe just because of uh, circumstance and time and situation, but you weren't winning that. Um, but no, I think he's he's been real good here. Uh, since the All-Star break. Um, Credit there as well. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited promotional offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget if you haven't signed up for bet mgm yet use the bonus code ta basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to the athletic plus up to a one thousand dollar first bet offer on your first wager all right i guess we will close this one out it seems like there has been a shift in the MVP race. I don't have the odds in front of me, but I'm pretty sure Joe is now the odds-on favorite in Vegas to win it. What do you think is the biggest reasoning for that? Yeah, and I don't think it's something I anticipated. You know, I remember our pod probably about a month ago where you know it looked like Jokic was going to run away with this thing just because of the 
you know, the voting and kind of all the noise you had heard about it, uh, Jokic had a terrible couple weeks. And Joe had a great couple weeks, I think, is is the, the real explanation. And perhaps more specifically, the Nuggets had a terrible couple weeks, too. And the Sixers now have the Sixers ahead of, not in terms of one yeah. loss record, but yeah, the Nuggets have one more loss than the Sixers do. Sixers have a better overall record um, by a half a game, even though the Nuggets are a top seed in the West. So yeah, catching up in the standing certainly helps, too. Yeah, so it's been... Uh... It's been a great couple of weeks, and, and Joe scores, like, I don't think Joel was good by, by his standards last night. And look, I mean, he played, what did he play, 44 minutes, so yep. to take this with a little bit of a grain of salt, you know, 37 points on 11 of 22 shooting. <laughs> That's like his worst game in like three weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's his streak up to in consecutive 30-point games? Nine, I think. Yeah, something yeah. like that. And it was fifty percent, sh- and it was plus fifty percent shooting, which he barely got. He did it. <laughs> no, yeah, he's just, exactly, exactly. He's just he's been a machine. tremendous. He's yeah, a machine. it's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think he has kind of taken the lead. Do, do you think there's probably something to because Joe has played so well and Jokic's team has faltered that I think people are starting to realize. Eh, I don't think we're giving this guy three in a row if it's not completely obvious here. Yeah, it does seem like some of the campaigning, whether that's Daryl campaigning or Perk's comments or just people pushing back on a three in a row, it seems like that has had some kind of an impact. When you combine that then with Joe playing ridiculous basketball, the Sixers winning eight in a row, Joe winning the matchup against Jokic and Jokic Jokic and Nuggets faltering, I think all of that has sort of combined to shift the narrative a little bit. Whether or not that actually shifts votes, we will see. Look, but, I think Joe has moved to the front of it, though. I, I just think he's he's got the story, but he's also he's kicking ass. He's completely. He's having a Kevin Durant type season as a <laughs> seven foot center anchoring a defense. Like it's absurd what he's asked. Like his what's his true shooting at later now? Like sixty five percent. Yeah. While scoring thirty three a night and anchor, it's absurd. It's legitimately one of the greatest scoring seasons in NBA history, and I think that's where I kind of come down. It's like all right. Jokic is completely unique. Like a big man averaging a triple double and shooting like 60 whatever percent from the field is absurd. He breaks our brains and statistical models. But Joe's kind of doing that too. And he's doing that while having way more defensive impact and responsibility than the Nuggets. Nuggets who are as bad of a defense over the last couple of weeks as any team in the league. And look, the Sixers defense is up and down. All right. Up and down. No, but, but Joel up, is. A lot of down, but. More up than Nuggets. Any any up any up is because of Joe, though. Yes, yes. <laughs> and you can see when he dials it up, what kind of impact he can make. You understand with the workload he has on offense, why that's not an every night kind of thing. But the impact he makes is just truly absurd. Truly absurd. He, I mean, the only offense that the Sixers got last night was like maxi runouts after Joel blocks. You know, some of yeah. the... I thought his defensive performance last week in the Sixers' biggest game of the month, in my opinion, in Cleveland was unbelievable. Like yep. he's just, you know, he's playing the Romer and he's meeting guys at the rim. He's certainly going for more blocks now. I think, and he's, he has said this, uh, said this on the road trip. I'm pretty sure he said it before too. He said like, look, it's time to go. It's time to actually start r- ratcheting up the defense because I think he realizes I got to have this by the time the playoffs start. And you know, it, 
okay, maybe I don't do it all year because I do have a, a massive offensive load, but you know, let's let's get the get the uh, car in gear before the uh, the playoffs start. And and I think we have seen that for uh, for the most part. Frustrating game last night, but he's really, I mean, and and the offense is just I, look. I know we've seen him dominate bad teams. The the stuff he was doing against Charlotte and Indiana, like it's just like it was yeah. just a joke how easy it was. Like it's crazy. What did he shoot? Like seventeen of twenty one against Charlotte? It was insane. Like he was like it was like Larry Bird shit. He was, was like he was like pointing to a spot and saying, "I'm gonna score here in this way, and you can't stop it." And he and he did, and it, it it's crazy, man. And look, I know the uh, the all in one metrics are are under assault because. Nikola Jokic and Alex Caruso have uh, have unlocked the code to both of those things, but I, I I do think you are seeing like wherever you fall in this debate, Joel is a way better defender than Jokic. Yeah, way better, yep. and and that needs to be factored in because um, the Nuggets have a scheme that kind of hides Jokic the best. You know, they have him up against the screen. And they have, you know, the, that backside guy rotate, and you see it can look really bad if uh, if these other guys aren't uh, locked in. Joel, you can do a lot of different things. You can have him at the rim like a traditional center, un- unlike Jokic, and um, you can have him do other things. You can have him switch when you need to. You can have him, you know, he's hard hedging more than you think and trapping and stuff. You know, he did it a little bit against DeRozan and Levine in uh, in last night's game. So uh, I don't really want to put down Jokic. I think he's uh, he's a terrific basketball player, but... I do. I have seen enough of the uh, the threads of his defense on Reddit, and I have seen enough noise and enough Kia MVP ladders to uh, to understand that Joel is probably taking the lead there with uh, with Giannis also lurking too. I'd imagine. Yeah. No, and I do think that the all in one defensive metrics are a, a key part because I think even Joe's like biggest supporters will acknowledge. All right, Joe might score a bunch. He scores really efficiently, but Jokic. What he does offensively is unprecedented. It's really impactful, and the the Nuggets really rely on him. So if you then add in, oh well, Jokic is an underrated defender and maybe is just as impactful as other big men, it's real easy to talk yourself into Jokic being the best player in the league. I think you have to fundamentally understand how flawed those defensive metrics are to really understand the the gap between Joe and Jokic on the defensive side of the court to really understand Joe's value to the team and what he brings as a big man, it's, it's entirely unique. Like there's nobody who's relied upon as much on both ends of the floor. And I do think, you know, I don't want to say he's going to win it this year. Cause you've got some massive games against the bucks and the nuggets and the Celtics that are going to define a lot of the narrative. If you think that Joe has an overwhelming narrative advantage and this can't change here over the last couple of weeks of the season, you are wrong. Like yeah, they can change that. on a dime, a couple of bad games against the Nuggets and the Bucks, and we are back to a com- completely different conversation. But I think he is in a good chance where if he takes care of business and if the Sixers take care of business against a tough schedule, I do think he will win it. If they win those games, I would be stunned if he does not win the MVP. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, but- that's completely absurd. MVP should not come down to one or two matchups in April or late March to decide it. This is sort of like the argument we had last year in reverse when it seemed like Joe, uh, Joe lost the MVP with losses to the Nuggets and the Bucks. It should not come down to this, but I think over the last couple of weeks, it's definitely benefited him. And by the way, he won't say it. He believes that he lost those, uh, those MVPs because the Sixers lost those games 
no matter how he played in those games, but they, they did lose them uh, with, you know, I remember those games last year, you know, Bones Highland went nuts in one of those games. Bones Highland's not even on the freaking nuggets anymore. And Giannis blocked Joel shot at the end of the, uh, at yep. the, uh, at the other game. So yeah, he's, I, I think he's had a good couple of weeks last night, notwithstanding. I certainly did not see, um, you know, down and out Joel after last night's game. Like I, again, I think for most of the Sixers, Outside of the Harden thing, you could say, okay, last night was terrible. Yep. We're winning more than two-thirds of our games. It's okay. Like, it's it's fine. Um, but you just need to make sure Harden is okay. And and if that is the case, I think you, you move on, and you they're probably going to keep winning a bunch of games because last night felt like an anomaly. That they will. All right, I think that is a good enough place here to cut it off. Another game. Coming up here tomorrow against the same Bulls, hopefully a little bit more aesthetically pleasing. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.